Welcome to the Mother of All Movement podcast with me, Catherine Meadows. I'm a Pilates teacher specialising in postnatal recovery and a mum to two kids myself. The aim of this podcast is to inspire and inform mothers of any stage and to chat about the trials and tribulations of moving your body after having kids. I'll be speaking to women who are coaches, instructors, therapists, athletes and adventurers who all work with mothers in some way and happen to be mothers themselves. This isn't about perfection, standards or achieving. This is a conversation about how to make the best of the rest of our lives through a nourishing relationship with our bodies and minds. I want to talk about what these women do, how they integrate it into their family lives and essentially why. So join me each week to hear these wonderful women talk about their journey. Welcome to the Mother of All Movement podcast and this week I am very pleased to be joined by Dr. Juliette McGrattan. She is a former GP, a mother of three, and she now works for Public Health England as a champion of physical activity in the northwest of England. Juliet's also the resident health expert for Women's Running Magazine and UK Run Chat. Uh, she's also the Women's Health Lead and Master Coach for the 261 Fearless International Network, which was set up by running legend Catherine Schweitzer. She also wrote the book Sorted, the Active Women's Guide to Health, which won first prize in the British Medical uh, Association uh, Medical Book Awards this year. Uh, Juliet also happens to be a friend of two of the brilliant women I've already interviewed, Jo Mosley from episode four, who um, she knows through the 261 Network, and Moira O'Sullivan from episode 14, who I think uh, you know because of a mutual love of each other's work. Is that right? That's absolutely true, yeah. <laughs> so welcome, Juliet. Thanks so much for, uh, for joining us today. Thank you. It's really nice to be here speaking to you. Uh, great. Um, so can you please introduce yourself, like where you are and, and your family life? Certainly, yeah. So um, I'm Juliet and I'm originally from Kent, but I've managed to uh, find my home in the northwest of England. So I love live up near Lancaster, right on the edge of Cumbria, Yorkshire and Lancashire in a beautiful spot, perfect for being outdoors. Mm. Um, I'm a busy working mum of uh, three children um, have a husband who is also a medic and I have a crazy dog who likes to come running with me and may well join in this chat later. <laughs> That's fine. We love the dogs. Um, okay, so you were, a, you were a GP for 16 years. So can you tell us about why you went from working GP to the way that you work now and, and why the change and where that came from? Yeah, sure. So um, I, I enjoyed being a GP. As I say, I was a GP for 16 years. But as I was working and seeing patients all the time and I developed my own love of exercise and could really see the power that it had to improve my own health, both physically and mentally. And I became very passionate about sharing that with my patients because I could see how those simple changes could really have a big effect on their health and their risk of disease and the treatment of diseases that they that they currently had. And I also discovered that I really liked writing. Um, I used to write when I was at, at school. I kept a, a journal, but I was never any good at actually at the English. I, I mean, I got my GCSE, but it wasn't stunning. Um, and I really started to develop this this love of, of of writing about physical activity and that's when I started my role writing with women's running um doing health question and answers and things for them and and that side I then began blogging and that that kind of was all working really well alongside my my general practice work but I became so passionate about it that it was I don't know it was just one of those times in life when I thought what do I really want to be doing? And I could see that I, I could have this opportunity to use all my medical knowledge, but in a slightly different way and use my role as a writer, as a runner to try to help people kind of overcome their barriers to activity um, and improve their health that way. So actually 
eventually I was just doing too much <laughs> to be quite honest yeah. you know and, and something had to give and when I looked at the bigger picture I looked at my life I had to be very brave and think right what do you really want to do and I decided to then make that leap away from um, traditional uh, everyday seeing patients in, in general practice so some may call me crazy uh, others the majority of people have just said good on you you know follow follow what your interests are and what you really want to do to be uh, to be happy and fulfilled in life so yeah. that's kind of how it came about really uh, and um, I, th- I think I've read somewhere that you weren't particularly into running a fitness uh, like pre having kids it's something that sort of came up more after you'd had your third is that right yeah, so I mean, I, I danced as a child from kind of three till 18. Dance was my absolute passion. Mm. And, and I enjoyed, you know, going up, doing a bit of walking and I went on some skiing holidays. And I generally liked being active in some respect. But I think when I went to university and then through my junior doctor years and then having children, it just didn't, I just didn't prioritize it. And, and it wasn't till after my third child that I suddenly thought, you have to do something about this. You know, you just, I just wanted to feel well and healthy and fit. Uh, and that after my third baby was like, right, let's, let's do it. And, and so you were actually feeling, I, I mean, when you don't exercise regularly, you don't have that sort of uh, passion in their sort of regular movement practice, you were, you were actually feeling unwell or just sluggish or just thinking, really, is this it? What, what, well, how how were you things. at the time? Yeah. yeah, all of those things. I mean, I think when you don't do it regularly, you just kind of forget about it. it doesn't, it's not a part of your life, so you almost don't know what you're missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I started to realise what I was missing, it became so much easier to include it in my life. And then I realised actually how much better it made me feel. So, I, it, it would, you know, I probably needed somebody at the time to say, look, you would feel so much better if, even though I, I was a doctor and I kind of should automatically know that, uh, um, I needed I needed to experience it myself to then really make it part of my everyday life. And I think I think that thing of I, I was a doctor, I should have, I think it, that, that almost goes for everybody, really, because I think there isn't a single person in the world who doesn't know that, I know, eating more fruit and veg, taking more exercise are going to be healthier for you than not choosing both of those paths. But it's finding that thing that pushes us to do it for the first time and maintain doing it, the what gives us the motivation. Uh, and that and that really for me has is, is the key. What what motivates you and what motivates one person is completely different to what motivates another. Mm. And what motivates you on one day might not be the thing that motivates you yes. the next day either. Yeah. Um, and, and I think unless you can find something that you enjoy and that's fun, it's, it's incredibly hard to be motivated when you just think of exercise as something you must do and as something to tick off your list. Yeah. Yeah. As, and, and as some kind of punishment or, you know, you're trying to lose weight, going towards a sort of more negative goal. Yeah, um, a medicine that you have to swallow. Yeah. Motivation, yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, and so for you, what was the motivation for you to start running rather than uh, anything else? I think in the very early days, right at the beginning, when I when I um, I I'd watched the local village 10K and seen the runners crossing the finish line. And I, I do like to set myself challenges. I've always been that way. And I think I just thought, I want to do that. I want to finish that. I want to prove to myself that I can run that. It's very hilly, difficult 10K. Uh, and I think that that initially was my motivator, having that goal. But actually, as I started learning to run and getting better at it, it really became the mental benefits that kept me going out. Because, I, you know, I had three children. I was working. I mean, they were all preschool at that point. Mm. And, and actually, it was just having 20 minutes yeah. away, away from everybody. Yeah. Yeah. purely on my own without anyone going mummy mummy or you know that yes. and that that was my motivator to start with it was literally just a bit of peace and quiet and and I hear that so often from my clients mm. like oh I really want to get running because I just need to be able to step out the door without having to push a pram pull a scooter mm. be pulled behind me and it's the easiest thing to do really isn't it it is and it during those times was actually when I, I feel like I started to rediscover myself because you do lose yourself amongst all of that and it was during those during those runs on my own that I actually start allowed myself a bit of time to think about what I wanted and what I enjoyed and who I was and and it sounds heavy but you know gradually over time those little precious moments are are, are responsible for so much of of 
what's happening now in my life. So, mm, Absolutely. I, I mean, I was listening to a podcast episode of Dr. Chatterjee's with Vassos Alexander, the um, mm. Radio 2 sports presenter, yes. and he was talking about his where, where he got his love of running, which is fairly recent from. And he was saying, really, in the end, going out running and going for a long time was like, a million you know 110 therapy sessions all in one go because your brain you're doing something and your brain goes off on a little you know journey of its own creating and solving and sort of cleansing itself and then you come back and you think oh I know exactly how to solve that issue or I know exactly how to get past this or I'm completely refreshed so I'm able to take a sort of more uh, a, a newer look at this problem that we've got at home or with my child or something like that and that's why going running can be so powerful do, do you get that as well oh most definitely and I think that's why my runs just got longer and longer because mm. I, I discovered it was such an, an amazing time and it, and it's not to think about anything in particular but like you say just to let your mind wander and some of the things that I would think about and would come into my head and I would would be you know totally bizarre sometimes but also yeah problem solving deciding uh not just what to have for tea but you know oh I might write a book and you know (laughs) great big yeah great big great big personal um journeys and yeah it it really really meditative and I think there's something about I mean I know not everybody wants to run and you know I I, I enjoy other sports as well but there is something very special about that thud thud that meditative therapeutic um hearing your feet on the pavement um which really encourages your mind to to just wander and and allow it to to think about what it wants to think about rather than having to focus on on the here and now Mm. And so you you had uh, you've been a GP up until this point. You've done lots of you started doing lots of writing, and you made the decision to leave general practice. And you uh, did you then immediately start working with Public Health England? Or, and... uh, so the Public Health England role is is a, a very specific um, role, which I actually started when I was. Um, already a, a GP um, and I've only, I've only recently stopped doing that um, and that um, I actually saw the job advertised on Twitter um, and I read it and I showed it to my husband and he was like you do not need another job <laughs> I know I said I know but just read this advert um, and when you read the advert you know are you a GP passionate about physical activity oh, wow. to your patients about it do you want to share it you know and I just I thought I can't not apply for this yeah. um, so, so I applied and it's been it's been a fantastic role which I've thoroughly enjoyed and that has been very specific for going out and running workshops and teaching sessions for healthcare professionals about the benefits of physical activity and the use of physical activity in clinical care of patients and how to speak to patients about it, um, which has been absolutely brilliant, really, really uh, great role. And it, it's something I think has been very much needed because everybody assumes talking particularly say about GPs from my own experience everybody assumes that we know about exercise mm. but I, I don't recall a single lecture at, at yeah. university yeah. about exercise I, I remember you know oh uh, you better tell you you know at the bottom of everything exercise will help or tell your patients to exercise because it's good for them but not really having any knowledge about the power that it really had and how it actually works in the body mm-hmm. and and there's so much more known about these processes now than there, than there was back in the days when I was at uni um mm. but but also you know we you assume when you go and see a healthcare professional that they know these things but they don't because they haven't been taught them so um it's been really great to um be going out and you know sharing my passion a bit through through that role and so uh, when you say healthcare professionals, do you mean uh, GPs but, and also nurses, health visitors, um, occupational therapists and people like that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. everybody, uh, hospital, medicine, primary care, um, allied healthcare, allied health professionals as well. So, yes. Wow, that's really fantastic. And, and um, is this a choice, um, like continued professional development sort of thing that they do? So it's a nationwide uh, project which has been running for nearly three years now and, and mm. I think um, I think we've reached over 10,000 healthcare staff um, and it, it's it's a voluntary it's a, volu- it's a free sessions that are offered 
uh, across the country. There are champions like myself all around all around the country offering those training modules. So yeah, wow. Been pretty- I mean, one of the questions that I had planned on asking actually was uh, talking about, um, you know, the relationship of somebody who maybe exercises a lot or maybe wants to get into exercising but doesn't really know what to do, talking to their GP. I could imagine that, or at least I, I would assume that a GP's knowledge of sport and frequent or heavy exercise or whatever it is that people want to do is limited by their own experience and not really something that's part of the training, which is what you just said. So, so then, um, yeah, how, how do we have those conversations with, with GPs? Yeah, I think, that, I think that's very true. I mean, there are a lot of GPs out there who do know a, 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 a lot about sports and, and, and exercise medicine and some of it is dependent on uh, your own experience your own um, interest in in a, in a particular area I think you would be hard pushed to find any GP who wouldn't tell you that doing exercise was a was a, was a good thing um, but I mean I know from my own experience before I d- developed this interest my my knowledge was very limited so mm. I would never be afraid to say to somebody that well I don't know um, but I could but I could find out but I'm always been more than happy to have conversations that help to encourage people to be active mm. whatever whatever their abilities because we know that even if you can just do something it's better than doing nothing Mm, yes, exactly. Um, and one of, uh, I asked a question of my audience if they had any questions for you. And one of the ladies, um, Zoe, uh, she's actually a master's athlete, a 1500 meters mm-hmm. athlete. And she, she asked quite a specific question, but, but really the gist of it was that as a high le- level athlete, she feels that, um, you know, a doctor, the health professionals don't understand the pressure that she puts her body under. So things like, her blood results, um, iron and things like that. They, um, uh, they, like the advice that they're giving might not be adequate for somebody of her level. Um, what would be your take on like a high level athlete or someone who trains intense, intensely? And that, that can be a whole variety of things, can't it? Where it's CrossFit, marathon training, ultra running, triathlons. Nobody has to be like a registered athlete to be high level training, but getting health advice in the right place. Yeah, definitely. And and I think that that's where it's a case of knowing that the, the GP may not have expertise in this area. Very often we find that patients themselves are the, are the experts um, because they'll be spending a lot of, a lot of time, you know, researching uh, these topics. So GPs are, are very aware that they can't be experts in everything no, and are, you, yeah. you know, are more than happy to, to, to say that and, and where necessary, direct that person to somebody else. And there are GPs who have special interests in sports and exercise medicine. And those kind of questions at high level, which, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to answer necessarily either. Mm. There will be somebody who can. So it's a case of, of the GP helping you find the right person to to answer those questions. But also, you know, un, just understanding the remit of, 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 of a GP. And I think sometimes it's it's you're afraid but I say most GPs are not afraid to say I don't know um but we can find out or we can find somebody else to 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 help you absolutely and it's always amazing that you think that a GP can get uh you know a hundred different questions in a day of every single aspect of medicine and still be expected to know the answer to every single one of them it's quite incredible really isn't it we really do expect a lot um, and so part of your role um, with doing the, um, the, the Public Health England work is uh, that that's it. I, I would imagine that might have become more important. The more we exercise, uh, we encourage people to take up exercise, the more the health professionals now need to be able to keep up with with, you know, at least understanding, which is which is your role, I presume. Yes, I mean that role is very, uh, say, specific to try and encourage conversations. It's to try and encourage healthcare workers to just say, "Do you know what? Um, it would be a really good idea 
if you could start doing some exercise because everybody's constrained by time mm. and you can't be somebody's uh, personal trainer. So actually just to raise the issue and signpost them because do you know what? There's so much going on in the community now mm. to increase activity levels. There are some amazing projects and work going on in everybody's local areas and it's just a case of linking those in to the healthcare workers so that they know what's available so that they can direct people and signpost them there's something called community sports partnerships um and so these are things like in this area we have active cumbria active cheshire uh, active lancashire and and they are uh, hubs and they know what's going on in the area so it's just a case of of being able to encourage somebody to be active even if that just means getting up and down from their chair more often and directing them and signposting them to to these amazing resources of people that want to help them and are trained to help them because we know that even just a little bit of activity can make such a big bit of difference yes absolutely just moving more in in your day will help you in lots and lots of different ways um okay so can you also tell us about what 261 fearless is because that's the other sort of aspect one one other part of the aspect of your your work so uh what what's 261 fearless how did you get involved in it and what (laughs) does your job involve with them yeah so this has become uh probably a a life's work i i imagine going forwards um so 261 fearless was started and founded by Catherine Switzer, who was, as you mentioned in the introduction, the uh, a running legend who, in 1967, ran in the Boston Marathon. A race director spotted there was a woman in his race and tried to pull her off the course, but she went on to finish, and she used that negative experience to create something good. And she realised that she had to finish because she had to prove women could but she also realized that she had to help provide opportunities for women to run so she used the number 261 which was her bib number in boston to start providing opportunities for women to put on their trainers and get out there and experience and enjoy the benefits of running including the amazing feeling of empowerment that that it can give you and the epicenter really of the 261 fearless network now is running clubs but these are running clubs with a bit of a difference they're completely non-competitive so you don't train for races it's not about distance or pace it's purely about social running women coming together from a local community once a week for an hour to have fun to meet each other to enjoy running together but also to learn about women's running and women's specific training to help them run healthily so they don't become injured and and really just to create a supportive network in local clubs but also with an amazing ability to connect with women all over the world from different countries and and different backgrounds so it's something I I feel very very passionate about I I became involved in it uh, through a friend actually who knew Catherine and Catherine was coming to England and she said, can you find me some women who are interested in and passionate about running for women? And my name was put forward. Uh, and I just got an email having just finished Catherine's book, which I'd read as an inspiring read before my first marathon and thought this was an incredible story and how grateful I was to be standing even on the start line of the marathon. Uh, to get an email saying, would you like to spend the weekend with <sighs> Catherine Switzer learning about women's running? And I was like, uh, yes, please. <laughs> wow. Um, and that was, uh, I think, four years ago now. Or is it, I can't remember. I lose track of time. It could be nearly five. Um, so, and, and from that, I became, I became involved in it. And on the global picture, I, I do um, I help train the coaches and I kind of in charge of the women's health curriculum but actually in the UK I've started it as a social enterprise with with my colleague Nikki and we're growing our our club network in in the UK as well and then we have two clubs local to me where where I coach so it's it's almost putting everything into practice really it's actually trying to reach women who have barriers who are inactive and or just unconfident or don't think they can run or need somebody else to help motivate them and bring them all together, give them a really great time one hour a week. And the women themselves do the rest. They support each other. They encourage each other. And it's just an incredible thing to be part of. 
And and you said that it's not competitive. Was that is that a really important aspect of it? Does it? Do you feel like sometimes that that's a bit of a barrier to people joining women joining like a, a running club or something that they might think, oh God, I'm just not one of those sorts of people. Yes, de- definitely. I mean, the biggest, the most common question, and somebody actually emailed me today to ask about our local club. Club is, um, I'm not very good at running. I'm very slow. Um, mm. I'm worried I might not fit in. I might hold everybody back. Mm. Um, and this is this is exactly uh, uh, what this is about. It, it's it doesn't we don't have a back <laughs> because we have techniques of of making sure that nobody's ever at the back and bringing everybody to, together to for all abilities to to enjoy running together um, because that really is it really is a, a big barrier and and I think for for a lot of us it just stems back to cross country running at school and, yeah. and hate and hating it yeah uh, you know <laughs> I'm still yet to meet somebody yeah. Fun. Yeah, still yet to meet somebody who's like, God, I loved cross-country running at school. Yeah. Running in those big knickers, yay! Oh, I had some of those. They were dark green. Oh, horrible. yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. We had the green ones too. Incredible. I mean, I don't know who thought about that one, but I mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so so from the women who join, what, what do you hear from them is the biggest barrier? What's, the, what's their biggest complaint about pre-starting, like thinking about it? I think it's not believing that they can do it and mm. uh, not thinking they could be a runner they don't feel like a runner they, they don't think they look like a runner and they're nervous and they fancy giving it a go but they're just not sure that they're that they're going to fit in um and and i think for lots of them it's it's that mental side which is which is the barrier um because the physical side well that comes doesn't it with 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 practice you know you you become you become fitter but actually sometimes the biggest barriers are in your head yes yeah absolutely and um and and what do you think where do you think that comes from like what needs to be done about that to do you think that that's a sort of bigger issue about our own uh you know, uh, the, the images that we see of the types of people who are runners or whatever? I think it's, I think it's complex, really. I think there's personal levels, personal insecurities, um, but there are the wider aspects of feeling, feeling judged by others. And, you know, for some women, they just don't want to be seen running because they think that people will look at them and think they look stupid mm. um, or that they shouldn't be running or that they're going to get comments. Um, and unfortunately, some people still do get those kind of yeah. comments, which which is a problem in society, really. So I, I think actually helping these women to feel proud that that actually what they're doing is is amazing and but it's also normal and and that it's absolutely fine to mm. just go out and run along the streets and 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 not care what anybody thinks about you and that's where the safety in numbers and that's where joining a group of others really is is very powerful because somehow there is safety in numbers and then women become more confident and then they're quite happy to be seen running in public and and that's that's that you know has a knock on effect to to society i think and and what about mothers like really specifically do you do you hear something any anything different from them about the challenges they face as as a mum yeah in comparison to i don't know somebody who's either later on or pre having kids um yeah definitely in the sense that they often feel very pulled in all directions and so something like going and joining a running club will seem like a a, a luxury and they would put that at the bottom of their list because they're so busy doing everything else. So I think sometimes the barriers of time and juggling can be bigger. Don't, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of people who aren't mums who are, you know, struggling and pulled yeah, in all directions absolutely. with family issues and, and work and things. But um, we, we do we do see a lot of women who find it hard to prioritise that time for themselves and and physically as well that there, there there are barriers sometimes you know childbirth it, it's it's pretty tough on your body <laughs> it, that, yeah. it, does, <laughs> it does give you issues so uh, i know that you know so many women have pelvic floor issues they might have some stress incontinence and leak urine when they run and they've just kind of lost that it's a feeling of loss of control i i guess of, of, mm. you kind of lose what your what your body was and you become less confident about it so actually being able to help those women and regain that 
proudness, that pride, that's the word I'm looking for, that pride mm. in what their body can do is, is really satisfying. And do you have specific coaching techniques for women who might be suffering from incontinence or any, anything else like that? Um, so our, all our all our coaches are trained specifically in in, uh, in women's health, mm. um, but they're not they're not uh, women's health physios, etc. But they would they would know mm. what to ask and to direct their members to people locally who could who could help them. Um, we do women's specific training in the sense that we're looking at how the women's body is different to the men's body and how what exercises and things would be good generally for women to do alongside their running to help them prevent injury. Um, but also for those women health women's health topics like stress incontinence to know that there are people out there that that can help these women. That's so important. Even just the ability to be able to see something and when somebody says or, or you know sometimes uh, women are embarrassed to say anything and when uh, having a coach that's able to potentially recognize that there might be an issue looking at posture looking at um the way somebody reacts to something you know, how how often they go to the toilet around a run you know maybe giving them a sort of by the way, is there anything, you know, and then being able to signpost them to exactly where the right person, where they could get help. That, that's so powerful yeah, rather than just saying, you'll be all right, just keep running or yeah, oh, well, put it's, it's interesting in. what comes out actually in mm. when you put women in a women's only environment. It's a bit right. like a girl's night out. You would say something that you wouldn't say in, in, in a mixed in a mixed group on a girl's night out, wouldn't you? And, yes. and that's actually because people think, well, why do you need a women only running club but these these are some of the, the many reasons and the things that women will say in that group are, are, are very different and we'll do star jumps and somebody will say I can't do that because I'm going to pee myself mm. and everybody will have a bit of a chuckle but then actually that's your opportunity to say oh well do you know what actually you could go and see a women's health physio and so these these kind of pointers are there um, and it's 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 great to be able to try and dispel some of those myths and, and talk about some of the more taboo topics yeah absolutely and I guess um uh, that might now bring us around to your book, uh, because in your book, you discuss absolutely everything to do with exercising, anything from your period, starting periods, exercising with your period, pregnancy, menopause, and all the way through to things like common injuries and illnesses, and, and also how to find um, motivation to keep regularly exercising, which is a real vast range of topics, which I guess is from your sort of GP thing, you have a vast, vast knowledge of everything. But why did you find it important? Why did you want to write the book? Um, yeah, so I, I, I wasn't one of those people who'd always wanted to, to write a book. I have to be honest about that. Mm -hmm. But it became a natural progression from the writing work that I was doing and, and the encouragement of one of the of the editor at the time of Women's Running Magazine saying, you know, you should write a book. Um, and I suddenly, I think it's because I thought I could never write a book. You know, I don't have the, I, how would I ever write a book? But yeah. actually for someone to say you should do it and for me to think, yeah, I think I was out on a long run. Yeah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think I just really wanted to continue all those conversations that I maybe started with patients or those conversations that I would like to have the time to mm, have with, with yeah. patients but also reached those women who won't even come to, wouldn't even come to the GP to talk about those things because maybe they didn't see it as important or maybe they were too embarrassed to be able to say, look, there are things you can try. There are things you can do. You're not the only one struggling with this. And you know what? If you can get on top of these issues, then they it, it will stop you being inactive or, it'll, you know, you'll be able to carry on and enjoy an, an active life. So I it became kind of a yeah, natural, a natural progression of just wanting to put everything that I'd, uh, gained over time speaking to patients, but also with running groups and things to actually down on paper to be useful, um, to, yeah. to other people really. Yeah. And, and, and I guess that's, that's what it is. That's what, you know, I got it, had a good flick through, read through, pausing now and then taking a look at each chapter, looking at the case studies and things like that. And, and now it's like, it's it's a manual, I guess. It's a, oh, I've got that issue. I wonder what 
what I should do, read that first, then go and ask your, your in-person GP. Gives you more confidence to go, oh, yes, I actually, I do recognise those symptoms. Mm. I should now go and check. And then your case studies was so important, uh, so useful as well to show a really practical side. Why did you want to do the case studies? I just thought that was so I- important. And, you know, I was actually overwhelmed at how many women were happy to share really quite personal things um, in a bid to help other women become active because they all feel the benefits themselves. I wanted it to be really practical, like you say, and useful, almost like a reference book. It's not really a cover to cover read, although I know plenty of people that have read it cover to cover, but more of something to have on the shelf um, when something crops up. You can have a look. What can I try? Do I need to see the doctor? And and then to have those backup of those women actually being encouraging and saying, you know what, I was there, that happened to me, um, and look at me now, I'm fine. Mm, yeah, uh, I, I mean, and I think that's that's really what it is. And I guess with somebody like me, who's a sort of alternative health person, um, uh, for me to be able to talk to clients and they go, oh, I've got this, this and this. And I go, well... I mean, let's just have a look at this. Why don't you take take a look at this section of Juliet's mm-hmm. book and, you know, make your own mind up having having had a look, you know, gives give somebody like me who doesn't have that knowledge or that basis, the ability to say, oh, actually, there might be an alternative way for you to look at this by going looking at the book first or yeah I mean it was never intended to be a uh, a guide for high high level sports people it was meant to be um as you say a guide for the everyday Mm. the everyday woman whether she's active or not active (laughs) Mm. um to 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 be able to refer to for evidence-based good sensible gp type advice (laughs) yeah Uh, so I was really I was really happy that I have managed to do it <laughs> yeah well well done I mean it's it's also a really lovely looking book as well it's quite fun lots of pictures really nice diagrams loads of colors it's uh it, it comes across really nicely so it's like an, a, a nice book to pick up and hold it doesn't feel like a medical reference yeah book. that was really important to me and also that everybody's busy and who's got you know nobody's got time to read very much so just to be able to have it, I, I kind of split it up into small sections. So mm-hmm. you literally you could read a box, uh, uh, you know, while you were making a cup of tea and then put it down and then you wouldn't, you wouldn't have to pick up where you left off. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Um, and so the other part of your work is working for Women's Running and the UK Run Chat, um, so online magazine and things. Uh, is, is that That's a Q&A sort of thing on both counts, is it? Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of expanding my my writing portfolio, if you like, and, and I now am health expert for Slim Fit and Healthy magazine, which is a really great new magazine um, as well. So it's just the opportunity again to just use my knowledge in in, in different ways. So yeah, reader questions or, or health features, um, and it's varied, and and I, and I really I really enjoy all of those opportunities to write. And uh, what kind of questions do you get asked? And, and do you get asked all sorts of really silly ones? Or do people always say, oh, this is a really silly question, but... Or, um, uh, you know, what, what sort of things do you get asked most frequently? Um, probably those little niggles. You know, those those things that might not seem big, but can be game changers, right down to, you know, should I pop my blisters? Those, <laughs> those, ki- those, those kind of things. Or... or questions that maybe the answers aren't obvious and there are lots of different viewpoints or where you just can't find that information like I've had a miscarriage when can I start running you know things things like that where it's very hard to actually get the information and usually these are kind of running running specific ones obviously for uh for women's running magazine so hugely varied and anything and everything is the answer really to that question yeah yeah I'm sure and and do you find that quite exciting just wondering what you're going to get asked next and which ones are going to be the appropriate ones for the online and then the magazine yeah I think it I think it's great and, and I think it gives me a real insight into what the barriers people have actually are um and I think that's what really helped me to write the book because I've been doing things like that for 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 a few years before I wrote the book so I had a really good idea of the kind of things that are on people's minds and and the things that they come up against that make being active difficult mm. uh, there's nothing more frustrating than being an active person and then being being stopped by something absolutely <laughs> whether, yeah. whether it's a chaffing between your thighs or, yeah. or whether it's a cardiac complaint you know it, it's um it, it 
it stops you in your tracks and that can be so frustrating if you are already active and again if you're not active it can be something that stops you starting in the first place so yeah and uh, do you manage to get through to uh, get towards um, talking to young, uh, younger girls, teenagers and things like that as well? Or is your focus mainly in the adult space? Uh, my focus has mainly been in the adult space, really. Um, but what's really wonderful um, about the work I'm doing with women, particularly, say, 3261, is the impact that it's then having on their families mm. and how the, the younger girls, particularly in the family, uh, already feel that they're part of it, even though they can't come along to the clubs and they're producing these amazing role models for girls and boys in a family to see that exercise is normal and is part of every, can be part of everyday life. And uh, I'm now I've got a daughter who's 10 and, you know, heading into teenage years. I, I, I imagine that my expertise and, and knowledge in that area is going to grow um, and that over time that might be something that I might I might look at targeting particularly. Because mm, I think when we mentioned before about the sort of psychological effect of doing cross-country running at school and how that can that can really scar a lot of women for a really long time and so when it comes when they come around to thinking about running again it could be 20 25 years later after they've after they've finished school and they've been put off all of that time so you know, uh, hopefully, uh, I, I would like to think that we're now managing to make some differences, some changes to the way that um, school uh, school sports is being received and approached by by teachers. But um, uh, I guess, like you say, um, it, it sort of filters down through the family, which is a really powerful thing as well. Yeah, it, it does. And there is a lot going on. I know I'm not directly involved in it, but I know there is a lot going on in, in, in schools to try and, and make sure that PE is is inclusive and isn't just about those people that are on the teams. Mm. Uh, I know at my daughter's school, for example, you know, we've got the Daily Mile. So right back down to that primary school level. Um, and it's it's great, you know, and, and it, what's really great about it is that the teachers do it with them. Yeah. And actually, it's done in the morning. And we have loads of parents that, that drop off and stay and do the mile and then and then go home. So I think it's all about just creating that belief that it's, as I say, it's normal, and it's it should be part of what you do as well as brushing your teeth and also it can be fun and you can do the daily mile and you can chat to all your mates and it's great <laughs> and or you could chase your mum <laughs> wow if your mum's managing to run faster than you then yes good for you um and then then I guess also you know that that idea that you've got in the 261 group about your own image and the non-competitiveness and your view of yourself as not a runner or a runner or not a sports person or what what you might view as the typical one that that's a that's a challenge now for teenagers isn't it because of the massive imp in uh, um, effects of social media um and um, you're you're working against that, or, or, or working in a positive way around that with uh, two six one. So it'd be something that uh, would hopefully keep on working down through into the teenagers. Yeah, just just yeah, body body confidence and um, not really thinking of exercise as sport. I think mm. that's I think that's key because for a lot of people they they don't see themselves as sporty. So the minute you mention sport, they kind of assume it's not it's not for them. Yeah. So thinking more about other activities in in your day that give you joy and give you the health benefits of exercise without you necessarily even thinking of them as um, as sport. So I guess it's just widening everybody's view of what of what counts as activity and that it, that there is absolutely something for everybody. And yeah. that you you don't need to be competing and you don't need to be showing off on, you know, social media and trying to achieve perfection. Um, yes. And that it's, you know, that there is something that everybody can can enjoy. And I think the enjoyment is, is the key for me, really. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess, do you do a running group or, or one of those sort of, I don't know, park runs or something like that with your kids? oh we do all sorts yeah mm. all sorts. They, they've all got their own their own sports that they found that they it's taken time for them to really discover what they actually enjoy the most um but they seem to have, have, have settled on, on a, a few different sports and we do family park run whenever it doesn't clash with the 
ballet run and the trip to rowing and the rest <laughs> of it. Um, but we definitely make a point of, of, of doing things together. But it, we, we do it because we enjoy it, not because we, we, we feel we should. And no, yeah. it's something that, you know, we'll all um, go on holiday and make sure we go kayaking or we'll do a family walk or even if it's just a walk, it, it's, um, you know, it's still beneficial and and you can turn a walk into a treasure hunt with a bit of geocaching. And we went orienteering last weekend, but I used my son as my secret weapon because I, it's stupid, isn't it? I got there and I'm totally capable, but I suddenly thought, I don't want to do this on my own. Um, because what if I can't find the, what if I can't find the markers or, you know, and I had that feeling of what if I'm really slow when I yeah. knew it didn't matter. Yeah. Uh, and my son said, I'll do, I'll do it with you, mommy. We'll do it as a pair. So, uh, that was, that was one son went off and did it on his own and the other did it, did it with me. And it was such a nice, fun family thing to do and I'd definitely be doing it again. I feel like I'd strain to remember how to read a map, actually. That's, uh... Well, definitely my thought processes were... <laughs> were slower than than his and slower than they should be and I'm twisting it around and I know the park you know um but it, it's something on my mind actually that I do want to do a kind of a map reading course I used to be in the scouts and look at maps mm. all the time mm. feel fairly confident but you know compass bearing and going off road on a on an unmarked trail I've I've kind of not got the confidence at the moment but it is something that I I, I would like to do so yeah that's a personal challenge up ahead I think I feel like it gets that that map reading ability kind of gets dulled, doesn't it, by sat nav and our sort of reliance on technology and just being able to go back to looking at a, a real proper geographical map, looking at the contours and compass yes. and all the rest of it. Yes, you know, we all. I, I think quite a few people have done it. It's just that now we're just so lazy. You just look at Google Maps, or you. Well, no, it's true. Yeah, you just listen to to, to what um, Siri's saying. I mean, someone's looking at the map and he said oh yeah well look that one's on top of the hill and I was thinking oh yeah so it is you know they're the con- <laughs> contours I forgot about contours yes yeah yeah <laughs> you know, it so. all comes flooding back but I tell you I, I know you've interviewed Moira O'Sullivan and yes. in that respect she's a real inspiration to me because she's just like go on go and do it learn how to use a map and, and get out there and I'm thinking oh yeah yeah if she can do it I can do it <laughs> yeah yeah she's really evangelical about the yeah. uh, the, the sort of benefits of being in the mountains specifically yes, in the mountains that sort of getting lost or mm. not getting lost and sort of managing to get yourself over somewhere really challenging yourself stepping outside your comfort zone being yeah being properly uncomfortable cold wet rainy you know uh um sort of going through bogs or rivers and I loved that in my youth you know I loved that when I was in the adventure scouts and 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 Mm. things so yes definitely need to get myself back there yeah great so so that's something that you do as a family and obviously like you said it's uh um for fun more than anything else because your kids also do their own types of sports so they just see uh doing that stuff as just a normal part of family life yeah I mean I I often quote my middle son um who just said why I don't understand why people don't do it when it's fun why would you not want to do something that's fun um so and and I think it it's very it's very good for you character development isn't it I mean my daughter is a huge dancer which is funny because that's what I used to love and I tried my best not to push her in any direction and she went to football and she went to tag rugby and she went but it was the dance that that really captured her um and it costs you know I I'm fortunate I can afford to pay for her to go to lessons but you know all these things can be expensive Mm -hmm. and and but I know that actually I'm not just paying for the dance lessons I'm paying for the fact that she gets to learn that to get better at something you have to work hard And I look back at my dancing and I and I realise what I do now, how much it gave me. It gave me the confidence to stand up in front of an audience. I do quite a lot of public speaking now. And I know that lots of that comes from when I was dancing and being on the stage. And, and uh, so I, I, I can see that the benefits it's giving her are not purely physical and mental health. It's actually kind of character development. So I'm really glad that they they all have found things that, that, that they enjoy, that they can learn how to work as a team, that they can develop self-confidence. And, and there's so much more to um, sport than getting your heart rate up. Oh, absolutely. And also so much more than achieving something. I feel like when I was a teenager, although I really enjoyed everything I did, um, I definitely, when I look back and think about my wider peer group of girls who I started doing sports with uh, and then the sort of the, the trail off as as they, as they sort of dropped out 
GCSE year, early A-levels and towards the end. And it would happen because they, they, weren't, they weren't sort of the best or they weren't the sort of the highest achievers in that thing. And so they weren't encouraged to carry on going in mm. the same way that I really hope we start to change that for girls now, that it isn't, isn't always about um, excellence and high achieving. It's about having fun, being part mm. of a team, learning all those amazing benefits that you get from 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 doing sport, from learning to push yourself, from learning to be uncomfortable, from learning to take turns, from learning to lose and to fail and all Definitely. of that sort of stuff. And and you don't you don't learn that just by being brilliant at something or high achieving. You learn that just by taking part. You can be rubbish at it and play football or dance or something like that for ten years, but you're constantly learning the same lessons as somebody who's winning, you know, Olympic medals. Definitely, and I think I think also it's about sort of personal resilience as, as well. I mean, mm. my, my daughter, if she's had a, a bad day at school or something's bothering her, she'll just dance it out. And she, if you, if you watch her, if you watch her, she she stops. But I've spied on her, and you know, she's just giving it everything in the bedroom, and you know, really emotional kind of dancing and 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 learning a healthy coping strategies for the problems that you're going to face in the years to come. I, I think is hugely beneficial as well but you know I, I've done my best with the, with my three children and who knows you know when my daughter becomes a, a proper teenager and gets to that age yeah. I can only hope that, that that what what I've done is to try to help her to enjoy those things and to have something that she really feels passionate about is, is enough but I I couldn't put my hand on my heart and say she'll be active all her life I hope she will <laughs> I think for everybody there's uh you know it's, it's very rare that I hear somebody who goes oh, I've been literally exercising active every single mm -hmm. week or months of my life since I was able to make those choices by myself mm -hmm. I I do feel like sometimes you know quite often you have periods of life throwing some stuff at you that you think I just something's got to give and it's going to be the exercise or you mm. just get waylaid into being moving to I don't know moving to a different city and it's suddenly being huge amounts of fun and you going out all the time and exercising isn't then part of your new routine being there or whatever it might be um but yeah I think I think that's I think that's true although when I look back at my life I actually think at those points was when I actually needed exercise the most yes um yeah. but um it was the first thing to go yes and I think one way to try and help others is to you know kind of learn from your own mistakes and, mm. and say actually that should be on the top of your list because if you can do that you'll cope so much better with all the rest of this stuff <laughs> yes yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm having uh, an interesting situation with my son who is in year one now. And he is uh, obviously come from reception where they have lots of active play, that sort of free flow, lovely play where they go in and out. They spend, spend a little bit more time outside. And then the transition from reception to year one, uh, I wonder whether other mothers who are listening to this who have kids of the same age might recognise this, that their kids... You know, my son, who's extremely energetic, really loves running around, climbing everything, doing stuff with his hands, being super active, um, will come out of school really tired. He can say, oh, I don't want to go to my after school thing because I'm so tired. And what I realised was that because he was going from having a really active day to then now needing to sit at a desk for longer, they don't go outside so much, they don't have natural light and outdoor fresh air and things, um, not as much. It's just been sort of made a little bit, little bit more restricted. And so I'm trying to encourage him to realise that actually what he's, where he's feeling tired isn't genuine tiredness, it's mm. just fatigue from being indoors and doing the same thing all the time and that if he can then go and move his body with whatever it is that we're choosing to do that day that he'll feel better he'll he'll get his energy back that the tiredness mm -hmm. isn't a genuine in their tiredness and 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 that every time he does and he feels great afterwards I I say to him do you remember how you felt before and and now you feel great and you're tired because you're physically tired rather than rather than just you know a bit down 
Um, and I and I realised that that's definitely the way that we all need to think, really. There are so many times that you just say, oh, I'm so tired, I've been sitting down at work all day. And, and actually just understanding that need for self-care, that actually what I need to do is move my body now. I think Whatever. it's a natural reaction, is it, when you feel tired to think that you need to rest? Yeah. But but actually, what what kind of fatigue is it? Like you say, is it is it mental strain from looking at your computer all day? And actually, the best thing you could do would be to get some blood circulating around yes. and um and and help your brain digest and process all that learning that it's that it's done throughout the day. But it's a natural thing. And 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 actually, on on a slightly different note, we see this with patients who have um who are undergoing treatment for cancer, um, with the fatigue that comes from chemotherapy and radiotherapy, et cetera. And there are studies now that show that that fatigue can be reduced in people that are active. Mm. So whilst the temptation is to say, well, you need to rest because you need to fight, uh, mm. fight the disease, mm. actually tolerance of treatment and sometimes survival rates are better in people that can be active. So it, it, it's almost going against the body's na- natural desire to want to to, to rest <laughs> yes but it can and actually can create energy if we if only we could bottle that feeling that you have mm-hmm. after you've moved and exercised especially if you've resisted it and gone oh I just don't really feel like it and then you go for a walk a run a, I don't know go to the gym go to your Pilates class yoga whatever it is sit there and breathe go and stand outside and do a load of, um, you know, sun salutations, whatever it is. It, just being able to bottle that feeling afterwards would just, that would transform the world, wouldn't it? If you could just I think go, we'd, yes, I, I think we'd be that. multi-millionaires <laughs> on our desert island. <laughs> I'll be working on it now then, yeah. <laughs> right, on, um, and last thing, um, things we're talking about, motivation. Tell us uh, where you get your motivation and inspiration from, Juliet. Oh, well, let me think about this. Lots of different places. Um, I generally, in terms of running, I generally need to have a goal. I need something to get me out because even though I know that I'm going to get that wonderful feeling afterwards, I do need something to give me a bit of a boot. So I quite often, I don't do many, but I quite often sign up for um a race usually a longer race like a marathon to keep me going through the winter for example so I've, I've uh, got well actually I've got one in December but I've got another one in the spring so that keeps me definitely motivated my friends you know those running friends who say okay I'll meet you at nine o'clock whatever the weather's like then you have to do it they give me a lot of motivation my Friday running club meeting up with those women from 261 is a lovely boost of motivation every Friday and and also that that desire to just be out in nature and to just have my own headspace and thinking time, particularly if there's problems like you say that I'm trying to solve, then that will that will give me motivation. And I'm inspired by so many so many things. You know, I do I do like social media for that aspect. Just seeing that somebody that you follow has been out and gone and done it is just enough sometimes to just make you go, yes, right, come on, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm going. Uh, as well as inspirational characters from from history, and, and Catherine Switz is a big inspiration to me. But right down to my kids, you know, wanting to get somewhere near them for part run is, <laughs> is a bit of, I am never going to beat them now, but um, is, is, is a motivator. Uh, so lots and lots of different areas. And I think having those multifaceted motivational things actually means that every day there's probably something that's going to work for me. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's so good. Yes, exactly. And we do need different things on different days right you can't have the same thing that's always going to drive you out the door so um and what do you hope to inspire in uh, other people the women that you come into contact with or your family or whatever uh i just like i'd like to think that i could maybe inspire people to just have a go <laughs> um and to find whatever it is you know it's hard when you're a runner because you become really running focused and everybody talks about running and things running you know and running there, there is much more to life than than running so my 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 idea really would be just to inspire people to find something that they that they can do that they enjoy that they want to do that makes them 
feel kind of lights their fire think back to what you used to enjoy when you were a child because if it lit your fire then it probably will again yeah um and to to just realize that there is so much it's there's so much to gain uh from just having a go and, and getting out there and see how it makes you feel and there's a whole there's a whole world of of excitement and opportunities and joy just just ready to be grabbed onto so please don't miss it yeah (laughs) and that's such a lovely thing don't miss it don't get to the end and just (laughs) not have experienced all this wonder yes that's a really good point well thank you so much Julia it's been really uh really informative as as we'd expect from a GP and somebody who does that um and and super interesting to hear about the way you're working now I feel like that's a really positive step for so many people uh, that that's going to affect um and also lovely to hear about the brilliance of the 261 group um and I will uh, put up links to the things that we've talked about in the show notes so that uh, people can find out a little bit more about the areas that you work in um so yes thank you so much and thanks for taking time out of your day to chat to us it's been lovely thank you very much we could, i'm sure we could probably chat for another hour oh i know i know i do feel like that quite a lot i'm like okay just stay on the line and i'm gonna <laughs> thank you so much no problem julia okay bye, bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. I hope you found the content interesting and worthwhile. Can I now ask you to pick up your phone and go to your podcast platform or open up iTunes on your computer and rate and review this episode? You can review as many episodes as you like, so even if you've done it before, it doesn't matter. I make these podcasts because I feel it's a necessary conversation to be put out there. I take the time to choose a variety of interesting guests and I want to reach as many women as possible. However, I do it all for free at the moment. To keep on reaching more listeners, I would love to eventually get a sponsor and that requires ratings and listener numbers. So please help me to make this podcast grow more by taking the time to let me know what you think now. Thank you and I look forward to you joining us next week.